Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and I'm very happy to have you here today. Okay, today's episode is a very special episode. This is the first guest appearance we've had in the Monday night Dharma sessions of our Sangha. And the first guest teacher in this lineup, which will be every first Monday of the month, so each first Monday of every month we'll have a guest teacher in the Sangha session, Um, But the first guest is my friend and previous guest on the podcast, Howard Axelrod. Howie, as I call him. Howie is a creative writer as well as a teacher of creative writing at Loyola University in Chicago. That's always a mouthful for me to get out, Loyola University. But I've known Howie now for many years, and I first met him shortly after he had returned from two years of really intensive solitude in 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 the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. And he and I discussed his memoir of that time in the woods, which is called The Point of Vanishing. Um, There'll be a link in the show notes for that book, The Point of Vanishing, and there's a link in the show notes for his new book called The Stars in Our Pockets, which is a deep meditation on humanity's inner climate crisis due to digital technology. It's not anti-technology. It's not a manifesto against technology. But it's a very interesting reflection on, or series of reflections on, really the cost that digital technology is having for our experience of our inner life and our consciousness um, as how we perceive and, and engage with the world. So this is all to say that I'm very happy to have Howie on my growing list of guest faculty in the Sangha. He brings a, a real wisdom and, and a poetic wisdom about Uh, the nature of consciousness, perception, self, and time, and our environment. Uh, And when he joined the Sangha for his session, his first session, I wanted to really get him to speak about how he saw writing and the practice of writing as a tool or a bridge to help orient ourselves or our mind to what's going on internally as well as what's going on externally. So what's our inner weather and what's the outer weather and how does the practice of writing facilitate greater awareness, perception, and understanding, really the the development of understanding about these domains of being or dimensions of being. Uh, After he and I talk a little bit about these themes, he then gives the group a writing prompt. He gives everybody a, a, a short writing exercise. And I include his his instructions for that writing exercise in this episode. And the reason for that is I hope you'll be interested in trying the exercise yourself. I did it along with the group last night, and I found it a very rich and rewarding uh, little writing exercise. And it opened up some new ways of thinking about writing for me and, and new ways of thinking about lots of things related to what I wrote about. So um, I leave those writing prompt instructions that Howie gave at the end, And I really encourage you to use that writing exercise as a kind of meditation and just to see where it takes you and where it leads you. So that's the essence of this episode. And I'll just say that if you like the content, if you like the kind of conversation that Howie and I have, and you would like to have more access to these kinds of conversations, I encourage you to join the Sangha. We're calling it the Riverbird Sangha now. Uh, I'll be explaining the name or the meaning behind the phrase Riverbird shortly. 
in another episode. But um, if you'd like to join, where you can have access to the, the, the weekly classes that Terry and I teach, as well as access to these special guest events, um, there's an there's a easy way to, to join in the show notes, and you can look into that. And that's all to say that if you are interested in supporting the work uh, that I'm doing in the podcast or the work that Terry and I are doing together, there's some easy ways of doing that in the show notes. You could take a class with us. There's books you can buy. There's courses you can buy. They're all online. Um, those are very easy ways to, to offer some support to this free content of the podcast that we are happy to share with you on a weekly basis. So we hope you enjoy the content here. And without further ado, I now bring you Howard Axelrod speaking about skills of perception with writing. So last week, I gave a short, very short talk introducing some reflections around how I think about uh, writing as a tool or as, as a practice for self-knowledge, to understand oneself more, and also to understand um, one's relationship to, their, to your world. Um, and last week, I think as I spoke about it, the, the thing that I would wish to edit was the connection I was trying to make between writing and meditation as two things you do together. Like you would either journal about your experience, your, your life before you would meditate, or you journal just after the meditation to sort of review what you experienced in the meditation. And both of those practices work, but um, I, I also just want to zoom back a little bit and suggest that the two practices, uh, sitting meditation practice and a writing practice can, can are really two tools that, that, that feed into each other and, and develop uh, skills of perception and ways of looking into experience. So um, that's what I want to kind of kick off tonight with Howie on is just to begin by asking him how he thinks about writing as a way of, as a, as a process of understanding oneself and, and uh, understanding one's perception and developing one's perception um, of, in the world. And if that's too general, I can get a little bit more specific. But <laughs> I uh, I, I, Thanks, Josh. I can start there. It's, it's, um, also, I just want to say before, before I start, it's, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for asking me. Uh, it is a pleasure. The other thing I want to say is that mosquitoes are flying around my head. So if you, if, if you notice me swatting or look, I'm not suddenly getting inspiration from the muse, you know, looking <laughs> to voices, it's because it's there are mosquitoes. So um, you were talking about skills of perception, that writing is a way of deepening skills of perception. And I, I didn't, when I started writing, that's not what I was after. I'm, I'm a, I was writing, the first thing I wrote was um, short stories, and then I started writing some poetry. And, but I was writing um, to write because I wanted to publish books, and I wanted to Actually, that's not the very, the very, at the very beginning, I was, I guess I was writing stories in high school and I was writing those not because I wanted to publish books. I was writing those as a way to think about things in my life. And, and one thing I noticed then, which um, is probably why I kept on writing, was the feeling that I would get when I wrote. The feeling that I would get when I would picture something in my head, I would try to picture a scene and the details that would start to come. And once I was harnessing my visual imagination, I mean, the writing may have been 
very bad. It probably was that that's not the point, but just that, that feeling of seeing, I remember writing one story that took place in winter and there was a drive down a highway while, while the snow was um, blowing. And I remember writing about the way that the snow moved over the pavement when the, when the wind blew and the wisps of snow covering and uncovering the, the lines on the, on the highway. The rest of the story was probably garbage, but I remember when I was writing that, the feeling that I got, that I could see it very clearly and how exciting it was to be able to imagine that. And, and I think that was maybe the beginning of um, writing as a way of deepening skills of perception. So it's, it was deepening the visual imagination while I was writing. But then also I realized, oh, as I'm going about my life, if I want to write stories, if I want to write anything, I better be paying attention to the way the snow, the snow moves on the highway during a storm uh, or the way other things occur. Because if I sit down and try to imagine them, if I've never seen them, and not just like been present when that was happening, but really notice them, taking that, taking that in, then I'm not going to be able to imagine it. I'm not going to be able to see it well as I try to write it. And I'm certainly not going to be able to, you know, articulate it with words. So I, I think that was the, this is a very general <laughs> response, but I think that was the meaning, understanding that writing calls on the visual imagination. Visual, the visual imagination is um, something of an indirect test of how well you've been paying attention. What can you imagine? With what kind of specificity can you imagine it? Um, and I, I started to realize when I was writing that there were lots of things that I hadn't seen well. There were other things that I would notice when I was reading um, that other writers had seen so clearly and so well, things that I kind of had noticed, but not with the specificity or with the clarity that other that, that writers had noticed it. And I would think, how did they, how do they do this? And at first I would just think, oh, he's a great writer. She's a great writer. That's, that's a function of being a great writer. Or, or oh, an easy catch all is, oh, that person's so talented. But then, of course, there's, there are lots of things inside of that. And paying attention in a certain way um, is an enormous, I mean, is an enormous part of, of at least the writers that I admire the most. It, it has to do with the quality of their consciousness and then their ability to evoke the quality of that consciousness when they write. I'm muting myself a little bit between, between uh, or while you're speaking. Um, Right. So, and that's where I think the intersection with uh, meditation comes in is that there's a exploration of consciousness itself and, and how consciousness interfaces with what it is conscious of. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I guess I, I'm curious, how do you, how do you actually experience that in your own life? You know, like what in, in what ways do you feel that there's a way that, that your, your practice of writing? And I know you're a big walker, too. You like to do a daily walk. But and I think those th two things feed together for you. But how do they expand upon your sense of self and, 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 and consciousness of what's going on around you? So every morning I, I go for a walk. Um, after breakfast, usually. And it's not a long walk. It's maybe half a mile or a mile sometimes. And when I'm walking, I try. Some mornings it works. Some mornings it doesn't work as well. But I try to keep my mind clear and just pay attention to what's around me. Um, 
look at the trees, listen to the wind. I noticed the other day, so I'm in, I'm in New Hampshire and the, the leaves came very late here. And I noticed the wind lasts a lot longer now that there are leaves on the trees. I mean, the wind I'm sure is the same, but it's sad. You can hear it sooner and you, and it lasts lots. So just paying attention to things like that, noticing the change in season, um, noticing what's happening around me. And then when I, I come back to the house and then I, I sit down to write. And when I sit down to write, usually if the walk has gone well, my mind is more open. It's, it's, um, it's more clear. It's more attentive. Uh, and I don't reach for, I don't have to reach for the first idea or the first thing that pops into my head if I'm in the middle of a scene or I'm writing something. Uh, the hope is that I can pay attention to the ideas that are coming in the same way that I've been paying attention to the woods. And so the, the thing that is maybe less obvious or it takes a couple kinds of noticing in order to recognize, like that the, the wind is lasting longer. Oh, that has to do with the leaves. That has to do with I'm paying attention to sound. I'm hearing it as it starts. I'm hearing the way the, the wind finishes. Um, then when I'm writing, if things go well, <laughs> there's some idea that might require two kinds of associations or a couple connections, like a combo shot and pool or something, you know, like I can hit the more difficult um, kinds of shots. If my attention is, is better, if my mind is clear, it's something like that. I mean, I don't know exactly when I'm walking. I mean, I think even if I didn't write, I would still go for those walks. And the hope is then that that kind of attention will carry not just into the writing. And certainly if the writing goes well, then it's, there's a multiplier effect. And then if I'm talking to someone after lunch or um, meeting someone in the evening, then ideally the, the clarity is only greater and my mind is more open and I'm not in a hurry to think, you know, someone's telling me something. Oh, that means this. Or they, they mean that. Or, oh, I can see why they're... Um, but to have the same kind of... Um, the, the same the same kind of uh, reserve, reserving judgment uh, or deferring judgment that I need to have when I'm writing characters. You know, you can't judge a character and, you, and, and think, oh, this character is just this or this character is just that. The characters that tend to interest, well, certainly that interest me, are, have all kinds of contradictions. Um, and in order to spend time with them and make them come to life, uh, you need to have a fairly complex moral positioning. Um, allowing for all kinds of things, allowing for contradictions, deferring judgment. So this is a long, so the walk, if things go well, opens my mind as I'm writing, more complex moral positioning, deferring judgment. If that goes well, and I guess even if it doesn't, you know, like a bad day of writing is still better than no writing. Um, then that should carry over into the, whatever I, whoever I'm talking to on the phone that evening, or I mean, now I don't really see people, but uh, <laughs> if I'm, you know, if I'm seeing someone, that should carry over into that. So that's the idea that ideally it, you know, goes back to your first question about skills of perception. Ideally, the, the walking is in enhancing my skills of perception, which is then enhancing the writing, which is then enhancing encounters with, with people. Great. Just give people a sense of what your walk is like. I want to just share from memory a little bit of um, something that you wrote about in your new book, the stars in our pockets. And you tell a story about when you were at, a, at an artist's retreat 
And at the end of the time of being at the retreat center, all the artists got together and, and wanted to, sh I think, extend their gratitude to the staff. So they, so they put together, a you guys put together a kind of collage of your work. And you had composers there, you had artists, you had painters, and everybody put a little bit in. And one composer wrote a piece of music where the time signature, or the, 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 the time tempo, I should say, the pacing, the tempo of the piece was not in adagio, like really slow. It was, it, it was written in as Howie. <laughs> His name, Howie's name was the, the, the time, because the, the composer said he had never seen anyone move more slowly with a Zen-like way about him. But as you're describing it, what, as, a, as a meditator, what I hear is, you know, a sense of deep presence to and an availability of presence to what's happening, whereby that allows you to, in a way, be more of a conduit for thoughts, ideas, metaphors, images that are, that are coming through you, maybe from, we could say from the unconscious, where your, your conscious mind isn't you know, trying to force it or create it so much as you're collaborating with what 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 is presenting and and occurring to you uh in the process right that that's very much it i mean for the walk there's very little i have to do other than walk uh, i'm not making the wind <laughs> blow i'm not making it move through the leaves the birds that i see i'm not i'm not doing anything and as soon as you realize you don't have to do anything it becomes easier easier uh all I do is notice, like there's a chipmunk running through the, the ferns over there. You know, I hear the sound. This morning I was walking and I heard a little scurrying and I looked and it was a baby chipmunk. It was the smallest. It was such a small, uh, and it was, it was, it seemed scared. So I didn't, I didn't want to scare it. But I don't do any, you know, I don't have to do anything. I just walk and then I hear things or see things. I stop. I notice Something just fell from a tree. You know, you just notice what's happening. Uh, the other the other afternoon, there was a there was a chipmunk here. It was standing on a stump, um, eating acorns. But its back was to me, so it didn't see me. And it was it was eating very intently. So I could get I was very close to it. Maybe I don't know a foot behind it, um, and just to watch what it was it, what its body was doing from the back as it was eating. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, the way it, it was like, I, I, it was like if in the middle of the night, if I am super, super hungry and I tear into some ice cream or something, you know, it was like full body. Chipmunk was really going after that acorn. Anyway, in those moments, I mean, anyone who knows this from looking at things, when something strikes you as beautiful or interesting, something strikes your curiosity, you're not doing anything. You're just, you're just paying attention. And I guess sometimes with your curiosity to sustain attention uh you're asking yourself another question like how how is this chipmunk eating or why is his butt shaking like that or what, what's happening to his shoulders or you know maybe inside you're asking these little questions but you're not even thinking about it you're just watching so um yeah that i think that becomes that's easy to do when we're in the presence of beauty you know it's part of why it's nice to be beautiful places it sort of it helps Tolstoy said all artists are genius or all lovers are geniuses. I, I think that's because, you know, if you're with someone you love, you start paying attention in that way. You know, you just looking at them or listening to them. Um, 
And the, the trick then, or the, you know, maybe the harder thing is then to do that everywhere, as many places as possible with as many people as, you know, to feel that kind of curiosity and interest. So then while you're, or, or while you're writing, um, so that you don't have to do very much. And it's the ideas or the, like you were saying, the, the associations are start, they start to come from the subconscious. And uh, certainly when I'm writing, I'm, I'm guiding things a little, I'm aware of a structure, I'm aware of uh, what a scene has to do, you know, the beats it has to hit. But if it's going well, I'm not, I'm not trying to think of metaphors. I'm not trying to think of like, oh, how do I describe that, you know, what this or that? Because if you're, that's, you know, it's like, it's, it's like an athlete. If someone's, if a, a serve's coming at you 120 miles an hour, I've been watching the French Open a little. If a serve's coming at you 100, you can't think, oh, you know, what do I do with my racket? Or where do I, like, how do I handle my hip turn? You better just know what, to, you better just be able to do it. So that's, that's the hope that, that you've learned your craft well enough that it becomes sort of instinctive. And then all this subconscious stuff can come and you don't have to do as much. I mean, some days it doesn't feel like that. And I think in daily life, it's the same, just sort of remembering how, how much better things go when you do less, you know, when you allow, uh, I mean, I guess the term is flow or, you know, when you, you sort of allow that thing that happens when you're in the presence the beauty or you're really curious about something or you're with someone you love or to allow that, that kind of um, quality of attention, that openness of it. It's really an openness of attention into other parts of your life. Yeah. The way you describe your walk, um, just to, to reiterate that a little bit, you know, you're not, you're not walking quickly. You're not walking with a preset notion of where you're going or a, 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 a route that you have to complete. You're, you're really in this, this sort of slightly boundaried wander. You're wandering through, through your environment. And what I like about the way you talk about it is, it, is that there is this analog to the, how I think about meditation in that you, know, there's, there's, you can go into meditation with specific instructions you're trying to follow, like connect to your breath and keep your attention there, et cetera. And you know, in some ways inspired by you, I've really been recommending a much more wandering style of meditation where you allow the wandering of your mind and go along with it as a way of, of developing, uh, you know, presence to what you think about, but in addition to what you're feeling and, and, and considering and how you, what perspective you're taking on things. Um, and, and there's something about this kind of, you could call it maybe um, free space of attention or, you know, a, a wildness of attention to, to really roam that, you as you writing in your newer book this is this is clearly being encroached upon and, and 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 if not decimated by digital technology that and you use the phrase i think beautifully in the book that we're we're struggling now from a kind of inner climate change or inner climate crisis that our attentions have been essentially hijacked and commodified and and we're paying the price for it um, in in many different vectors or different ways um but so there's a there's 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 on one one side that 
writing and walking and meditating are ways of resisting some of that, you know, cultural influence or technological influence. But there's, there's such a, a, a richness of being that is, that is, uh, that emerges from, from valuing attention. And, and I think this is what you point to beautifully. And if you could just say more about that, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear more. Sure. Um, yeah, our, our attention shapes everything. I mean, the world that you live in, that each of us lives in, is a function of our attention. It's a cognitive process or tra- that underlies everything, everything we take in, uh, the way we take it in. It, it's the, you know, there, I get in the book, I talk about the, the word perspective, and it means not where you're seeing things from, but uh, what you're looking through. That's the, the, the etymology of perspective, to look through. And we all have that. We all have kind of lens that we're looking through all the time without necessarily knowing. And that's not just whatever our biases are or our past is or um, our culture, you know, whatever. There's that, there's that lens that I think people talk about a lot now. Uh, but there's just part of, I mean, all of that is part of a, a larger lens, which is our lens of attention. Everybody knows what, it, you know, if you're in a good mood and you go for a walk or you see how it feels, like, oh, everybody looks a little better today. Everything's, and other days, maybe we didn't sleep so well or we had a bad breakfast or something's on our mind and our attention is cloudier and think people don't look so great and hassles are bigger uh, and our resiliency is lower. And so we, we all have that. I think we notice it maybe not as often as we should and we value it. You know, you, we, you go to the, doctor to get your eyes checked every so often or get your ears checked or there is no they can't put a chart on the wall to check your attention uh, it doesn't exist but if it did it would be incredibly useful and I get you know people like you in a lot of ways are doctors of attention people come in hope of having their attention I think improved clarified expanded um, and people who know to seek that out I mean that's that, that, that's huge credit to them. I mean, it's very important. And there are various ways of seeking that out. Uh, when you introduced me, you said, you talked about my going to the woods after this traumatic injury when I was in college. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what I was seeking out in my own way was a way of paying attention that felt um, that felt comfortable and that made sense. And that seemed wide enough uh, that um, just to give context for that a little bit, I mean, you can talk about the trauma if you want, but that you went, you, you rented a place in, in Northern Vermont. And, you know, I think when people think about that, they think, oh, the, the hermit that goes into seclusion and brings all their books and their favorite music and their journals and maybe their guitar. And, and I just want to impress something on people that, you went to the woods with none of that. You, like there was, aside from food and, and firewood, you were there with nothing but your attention. And wool socks. I, I had to... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I wanted to get down to the bottom. You know, it's like, what, uh, what's really important? And then what do I, and I think a lot of people who've been through trauma have this feeling. It's like, what do you orient by after that? What can you trust? Because you start to feel like you can't trust 
much of anything. I think after after a really traumatic injury, uh, your body's always on high alert, um, and it's hard to get that alarm set system to quiet down, even in moments where you probably are safe, but you don't feel safe. Um, so I wanted to go someplace where, in, in the woods, I mean, other people would not feel so safe in the woods, but I felt very safe there. And, and then, I wanted, then I was paying attention to my attention. Like, what happens if I go for these walks? What happens to what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing? What happens if every two weeks or so I talk to a friend on the phone? Can I listen to him the way I, I'm looking at things in the woods or the way I'm listening to things in the woods? And if I have that kind of quiet and calm uh, and I'm orienting by something that doesn't feel relative or temporary, that isn't just about, you know, am I going to achieve this or am I going to get that? Um, then if a trauma happens again, it, it was a way of feeling prepared, I guess. Like when it happened, I, I felt like my, my life was kind of split into before and after. And there was a lot to try to reconcile and things quite literally looked different because I was blinded in my right eye. And um, so I, I guess a short, somewhat short version of why I went to the woods was to try to have a way of seeing, you know, a way of being in the world that couldn't be changed in an instant, that even if an, another trauma occurred, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't shake that, that, that means of orientation, like a way of paying attention and a way of valuing um, what's meaningful that couldn't be broken, you know, in a, in a second. That, that, and that's where I hear you as a Dharma brother, because, you know, the, the Buddha in his primary teaching on the Four Noble Truths just says from the beginning that there is dukkha, and dukkha is a contested word, what it means. Sometimes it's translated as suffering. More and more I'm thinking of it as disharmony and trauma. You know, it's just the pain of the pain that comes with existence. But in understanding it, by looking into it very deeply, uh, there's the promise of under, uncovering a piece or a, 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 I forget the phrase you're using, but it's like reference point or like a, a kind of a, orientation, a, an orientation, right. An yeah. orientation to life that is not dependent on those changing conditions. Right. You know, it's kind of, it becomes a lodestar. Yeah, that's it. It's like, how do you see Pat, like when everything's shaking around you, you know, how do you see far enough to something that isn't shaking? And how do you then live by that rather than all the, you know, all the shaking stuff? Right. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for all of us. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I think if you've been through, as most people have, some sort of trauma, really, you know that you need to find that, that thing because things are going to shake. I mean, that, like you said, that's, that's existence. That it's going to, things shake. Right. <laughs> so you, and you're going to have to steer through it. You know, so so how how do you find something? We're coming towards the end of this this session, this this first part of the the evening, um, and maybe I'll just pitch you one more point to reflect on, which is similarly part of the way we, in, in at least in Buddhism, we orient towards the the transcendent um, is we 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 look we try to look very clearly. But have a clear perception of what's happening or is with, with as minimal amounts of kind of cognitive distortion as possible. And in, again, in your newer book, the stars in, in our pockets, you, you tell of a story where you get into the car and you, you turn on the radio and you hear 
this voice say, the real challenge of each day is how can I experience the world better? And, and you, you kind of caught this conversation on the radio midstream and you didn't hear it all. And so you just got this fragment of the, of the, of the conversation. Um, it turned out the person you were listening to was one of the, the, the developers of the iPod and the iPhone, I think, named Tony uh, Fedel. Um, yeah. But in the essay, what, what struck me as, as truly meditative or dharmic was that you, you raised this question around what he, what he had said in context around that big statement of how can I experience the world better? And, and you, you questioned, maybe he'd even said that seeing clearly and I love this, but you said, maybe he said, seeing clearly is an ongoing balancing act. Seeing clearly is an ongoing balancing act between seeing within a framework and seeing beyond a framework, between seeing with knowledge and seeing with wonder. And I read that several times. I underlined it several, you know, and wrote it down um, because it points to how the act of perception can lead to habituated perception very quickly. And so the task of, 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 of continually either clearing or sharpening or developing one's perception seems what you just, what you said in the book there was an ongoing balancing act between what's known and what's not known and being able to hold those two almost with, with, an equanimity of sorts so that so that you don't get fixed or stuck in, in, in seeing only one way. And I, I, to me, that seemed profoundly dharmic and, and contemplative, and, and, and I just loved it. But um, as we come to, like, how would you see, like, an exercise of writing? And you can say anything else you want to say about that, obviously, but how would you see the exercise of writing as, as supporting that balancing act? Sure, sure. So the... The more you know, if one would hope, the more curious you become. I mean, that's the hope, that as your knowledge deepens, your curiosity deepens too. Um, with people, you know, like with good friends, you, people often find that. Um, on my walks, I mean, I'm walking more or less the same, in the same places every day. But then I know that, I know the trees here well. I know the seasons here. I know, I mean, I could just say, oh, I've seen that before and, and not see anything on my walk. Or I could say, oh, because I know this well, I'm more curious. Like, how does that look today? Or what, what's the light doing this morning? Or what's happening with these chipmunks or whatever? Uh, and with writing, it's very much that. Because you, there's a certain amount you need to know. Like, I'm working on a novel now. So structurally, you know, I need to know sort of what's going to happen in the, the important part of a scene. or um, And also just technically craft-wise, there are things that, I've, that I know or that I hope I know. Um, but then for a scene to go well, there better be surprises. I mean, if a scene turns out exactly the way I planned it and nothing, nothing's happening as I'm writing it, there's no, there's no movement sort of from under, from the subconscious or it's, it's not, it's not gonna, it's gonna lack vitality. It's gonna lack, you know, it's like if this conversation, if we had planned out everything, I'm going to ask you this and I'm going to answer this. And we had written out a script beforehand or something. No, there's no energy. Uh, and that's, that vitality, that excitement of a mind in movement, um, is is clear on the page and and all the best and all you know in the in the best books, you, you can feel that there is an excitement of of association of connection of um, things happening that the writer didn't know were going to happen when they sat down that morning. Uh, 
And that's, I think in life too, it's the same, you know, we can know a lot and ideally our knowledge deepens as we get older, sort of. <laughs> uh, but then what, what I think most enlivens us or it, it, it is the, you know, when curiosity, when we have curiosity and then there are surprises and, um, and then we're learning, we're learning things, we're finding things out, we're making more connections and that's, that's exciting. Yes, I, there's something intrinsically, I don't want to say rewarding because it seems so like outcome focused, like, oh, if we do it, it's intrinsically, we're going to feel better. But there is, there is something intrinsically alivening. And, and this is something that I started to realize when I was doing silent meditation retreats where I was on a completely boring schedule from the perspective of everyday life, you know, just sitting and walking with zero activity beyond that. And yet, once I sort of broke my, my habitual form of perception into the activity of just sitting and walking, right. nothing was boring anymore. Suddenly, so like, like an itch became endlessly fascinating. The, the, the right. movement of an insect became endlessly fascinating. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, so do, would, how do you feel about um, giving the group tonight a prompt to, to help su support their own exploration of themselves or a situation, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, with writing? I'd love to. Okay, so we were talking about how, sorry, the bugs there. We were talking about how um, it can be very helpful to put yourself in the way of beauty. How if you're, if you're walking... Uh, and you're someplace beautiful and there's a lot to notice, your mind starts to open and maybe it gets clearer, uh, you're more receptive. And there's, um, I think there's a kind of analog with, with people. Uh, people, um, you know, if you have a, a friend or you can imagine a listener, it might, it, you know, might not be someone you know, it can just be sort of a, a presence that you imagine or, or even someone who you met a long time ago, uh, some kind of listener with whom you felt that kind of opening and clarifying someone who elicited from you a fuller story than you were even telling yourself about whatever in your life. Um, I, I, you know, I think a lot of us have been fortunate enough to have met people like that. Uh, I know I have, and it, it really surprised me the first time I was talking, this was a, a mentor in college, uh, how much there was within me and how much was able to come out of me when I was talking with him because he gave me a kind of, um, a reflection of myself that I, I couldn't have given to myself. So for this writing exercise, the idea is um, try to write a scene so you can be anywhere. You can be on a train, you can be in your backyard, um, you can be going for a walk someplace and imagine you have somebody with you and this can be someone who you know in real life. It can be someone who's already passed away. It can be someone you haven't met but would like to. Uh, you can completely make this person up. It's entirely up to you. The idea is you are with this person in a particular place um, and you are starting to have a conversation. And this being in this person's presence, this person is a kind of listener that will elicit from you um, that kind of openness and clarity that we were talking about with walking. So just write this scene. You can be anywhere. You don't have to actually start to tell them some deeply personal story. You don't have to actually get into the full conversation with them. I, the idea is just to imagine the scene where you are, um, think about some physical details. How does the air feel? What does it smell like? What are you looking at? 
what do they say to you? How, how, do, how, do, how does the conversation begin? And then maybe just as you're about to open into your fuller story, you're about to go into something that, you know, is uh, maybe difficult but important to write about, that's where you can stop and you can save that part for later. This is just the thing of getting yourself into that more open frame of mind through a scene. Write yourself into this scene. And how long are we taking for this? Um, how about tw is 20 minutes? I think that's perfect. About, yeah, 20 minutes. Um, do you want to give like a, a nutshell synopsis of that, that, that prompt again? Sure. So you want to picture a place. You want to have someone who you're there with. Uh, this person is going to be a very good listener, someone with whom you're comfortable, someone uh, to whom you can maybe tell anything. And write your way into the scene. Where are you? Uh, what's it like there? Start the conversation with this person. Um, maybe show the way they're listening, how it feels to be listened to in that way. Uh, what starts to come up as you're in that. Um, maybe how different it is from talking to somebody else or some other scene. You, know, you can do it by contrast. Doesn't feel at all the way it felt. So, or, um, And then... Um, and, and write it into it as far as you want. I guess I, I would just say you don't have to then, you know, tell this person the story of your life, but you can if you want and if you have time. The, the key is just to, to write your way into that feeling of openness. Okay, so as I said at the beginning, uh, I wanted to leave in Howie's instructions for the writing exercise because I hope there'll be, it's an exercise that you'll consider doing yourself. I found the whole session and particularly the writing exercise and how Howie spoke about it after, as we debriefed about the, the, the experience of it, I found it all very interesting and very helpful in really expanding a sense of perception and awareness, which is the heart of yoga and meditation. So uh, you'll be hearing more from me soon about how I continue to think about writing as a tool within the spiritual path, but it's really, for, at this point for me, it's an essential one, and I, I think it has a profound synergistic benefits or synergistic functioning with more traditional forms of spiritual practice like yoga and, and meditation. So I hope you find that helpful, and I hope it opens some new avenues of exploration for you. For now, I'm going to say farewell. I wish you well. Stay safe. Stay strong. Keep practicing. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take good care.